afternoon, and welcome to another episode of After the Gig with me, Jesse Humphrey. Before you even get started listening to this episode, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Well, I guess you can't really rate it until you've listened to it if you're new. So listen to the episode and then rate, review, and subscribe. On to the good stuff. On the show today, I have my good buddy, Ian Allison. Ian is a badass bass player that tours with Eric Hutchinson. That's where I met Ian, but when he's not on the road, he calls Minneapolis home. Ian has recorded with a multitude of artists, and over the course of the pandemic, he has turned his home into a content creation laboratory. He is a perfect person to have in the trenches with you because of his inclusiveness, positivity, and his ability to get you excited about songs. Ian is seriously one of the nicest and supportive people uh, that I've met on the road and that I've had the pleasure of playing with. It was tr- we talk about it in this episode, I think pretty pretty close to right off the bat, but but he is seriously a great person to be on the road with. If you want to learn directly from Ian, if you want to check out his stuff, you can sign up for his course on scottsbasslessons.com, which is kind of a big deal. Or you can just follow him on Instagram. Instagram, he's constantly going live. He's posting videos about different basses, different sounds, different ways to approach songs. If Just bottom line, if you're a bass player and young, old, beginner, advanced, you should check out Ian's stuff and his approach. He's been doing it for a long time. He knows exactly what he's doing and he knows how to teach people things and get them excited about what they're doing so it doesn't feel like such a massive hill to climb. And I think that's one of the toughest things about being a teacher in general is getting people excited without feeling overwhelmed. Both of those places that you can check him out provide incredibly informative, energetic, and most importantly, useful video content filled with skills that every musician needs to be an asset in the studio and on the road. Please, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Ian Allison. podcast podcast awesome what a great space you have I recognize the space from from the internets and all the videos i've been seeing lately dude it's so funny it's just it's a, like uh, a tiny little bedroom in our upstairs that you know we had these like ikea lights i feel like from like 2002 or something and it, they're just they're just back there and it looks so epic right <laughs> with like the right lighting but it's literally just like cheap terrible little <laughs> yeah but it's this ridiculous glow it's pretty funny is that the same room that um like in the beginning of your of all the videos that you've been doing was that the same room that you redid that you said you had to like yeah build up, build up all the energy yes. to not procrastinate and and dude yes like the beginning of me sort of doing social media i don't know i like taking it just more seriously and like committing to kind of posting more regularly. Yeah. I redid this room and had, we have a, a great friend of the family who actually used to be our old landlord, you know, a decade ago, more than that, like 15 years ago, came in and helped redo the floors and just like make the space nice because I wanted to start doing, you know, more recording at home and more content stuff at home. And yeah, that was kind of the, the beginning of it all. Yeah. The same room. 
what was the uh so what was got behind behind that whole thing was it just like you were sick of not having your own space to do like really good work at home or like what was um, what was the weight i mean because the change the change in your social social media is just like it's a it's a big it's a big thing. It seems like your social media just completely exploded after you made this decision, this con- conscious decision to absolutely yeah. just like take it completely in another way. Which is yeah, awesome. okay. I, I mean, dude, I I love that question. So so for me, um, briefly, I was in a band like an original band like with my homies throughout my entire decade of my twenties. Then when I turned 30, that kind of was set aside, and I did a bunch of sideman stuff for the entire decade, 30 to 39. And then when I turned 40, there were parts of both decades that I really loved. I'm 42 now. Mm-hmm. When I turned 40, it was sort of this midlife crisis of going like, well, okay, I want to I still do sideman work, but I also want to have something that I feel like I have some kind of stake in or control of even if it's just like a like a uh an imagined sense of control Mm -hmm. you know something of my own so i decided um i wasn't going to put out necessarily like a record i'm not really a songwriter but i just i had been consuming a lot of content around like trying to be yourself on the internet which is hard to do but i'd heard a lot of great people just say like hey you know like if you can figure out how to just talk about the things that you love without fear of judgment and without um thinking about like oh no you know who's gonna who's gonna see this post is my family gonna hate it are these particular friends gonna hate it or you know whatever like if you can figure out a way to let that go yeah um that starts to become a lane and maybe a voice. And that was just the, the beginning of that endeavor, you know? Yeah. And I heard someone else say recently, um, <clears throat> actually a really good friend of mine named Jonathan Marin, who's a great bass player in New York. He said this thing to me where he said, he heard it from somewhere too, that whatever it is that you, you feel vulnerable about in your life or your artistry or whatever, and you're hiding from the world, like that yeah. you're hiding from the internet or hiding from, if you figure out a way to just face it forward and just like say, this is what's the most vulnerable thing that people actually, that tends to resonate with people and that that actually becomes your voice. So for me, you know, like talking about my procrastination and uh, talking about the things that I wanted, I wanted to hide so much to say like, look, I'm such a pro. I'm not a procrastinator, <laughs> but I am. And, you know, to talk about that and then to like the synth bass on electric bass thing, which is something I do um, for the longest time, I would sort of downplay that and talk about that as like a, a bug, not a feature. Right. Okay. I would say like, Oh, you know what? Oh yeah. You'd probably want to get a real keyboard player. Oh, I should probably play real synth on this. I'm just kind of doing it with pedals and I would downplay it. But then I had that thought of like, well, what if I just, flipped that and just started to talk about it. Like I like it and that I, and that I think it's cool because I do, I do like it and I do think it's cool. And it, it completely changed the game for me. What essentially I think you did was you made the members only jacket. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, you, you flipped it. You flipped it on the side because I mean, Ian, before, before we get like too deep into this, I respect you so much as a musician and as a bass player and as just like a dude to be 
to to be working with and like oh, thank you you, man. you made you made me feel so comfortable in in that situation when um when I was subbing for Brian on the Eric Hutchinson yes. gig and yes I mean it was the first it was the first time I had played to a click with ears on I was so nervous to do it we had no rehearsal it was nerve wracking for me it was my first foray into that situation plus the travel plus being around new people oh and, dude and, I know and as like meeting you for the first time you you made me feel so comfortable and I think that's so important for uh, young musicians to to have and realize that that's possible to have when you're on the road is like no you don't have to be a bunch of animals out there you can you can have somebody that's got your back that makes you feel really comfortable and just kind of sets you up for the win you know um so that's you that's that's well who you are dude thank you for saying that and i mm-hmm. i will say too to people that know you and and check out your podcast and everything i mean you came in super prepped like you took it really seriously so it is it's it's easier for everyone in that situation to be really accommodating and to be really like giving and generous when you feel like the person coming in has also respected Right. the gig to put in the time right i mean like if you came in you're like what to, how does a bridge go yeah. <laughs> like i mean there I definitely were mo- moments of that <laughs> <laughs> there, there were definitely some things that i was like man i just uh it, because you learn if you learn if you're coming in super quick to something and you have five shows and you're trying to get it right and you have all these new things in your head and and uh you know sometimes you know, from night to night, like my brain just wasn't doing what I really wanted it to. Like some, sometimes I could wish, I, I wish that I had some of those nights and some of those songs back so I could like really do oh, do it dude. better. But, um, but it, I remember being so much fun just being on the road with you guys. It, it was, was great. so fun. Great experience. And, and I mean, I, I will say too, like the, the thing, uh, for anybody watching who wonders about touring, I mean, it can be awful or, or it can be that thing of like, we're out and we're just going to go crazy and party. But of course that's not sustainable. And I'm not that guy anyway. I just happen to think this industry is just about people, right? Yeah. It's like the, you know, it's the golden rule, right? So if you treat people well and you treat people with love and respect, like it's going to come back. And I mean, Eric is really into that. Like whenever I am, you know, like a MD in a situation, um, and, and Elliot, yeah, Elliot was MD then, but yeah. Elliot has, has been gone sometimes. And then I step into that role. Um, I just always feel like, uh, it's just about the people. It's about trying to get the best performance, best vibe, best hang out of the people. And I want to try to facilitate that. Yeah. So and I think those are the crews and bands and situations. And I mean, take this into any industry. Those are the people to draw to, right? The people that make like, try to try to prop you up for the win, like you said. So right. that's, I, I try, I look for that in bands or situations or companies that I work with, like people that are, you know, that seem to be looking out for the relationship yeah the relationship just it just means so much and in that situation especially you know i've been in situations where i would go out on the road with a a group of people that i didn't know which was basically the same thing i think i only really knew elliot and then i had done a short thing with eric um when i was in europe so eric was doing a solo thing we got to know each other and it was really really fun got to kind of be reintroduced to his music because i knew eric's music but it was the kind of thing where, oh, now 
you're in a room with this guy and and you're getting to know them at the same time. Does that make any sense? It's like a weird situation. Oh, of course. Not a weird situation, but it's a different situation. So you're learning about the person. And then I got to do a fun um, uh, recording session in New York with Eric when he was producing. Uh, oh, my God. I'm going to blank on, on on the name of the artist. But um, got to do like. Was it, a, was it Scout? No. Hayden Cord. Okay. Hayden Cord. Oh, okay. Yeah. I dude, I remember Hayden. Yeah, sure. Yeah. She was a sweetheart and we got to do yeah. a, a short EP and it was super fun. But you know, just just that feeling of knowing that um you're comfortable. Just being comfortable in any situation, it just means means so, so, so much. But when you were in the band for that decade when you were touring and stuff and, and you had the long hair in my band. Yeah. The original. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What was that? What was that like? Were you guys doing the whole, the whole tour around the country thing or was it more of a regional act or what was kind of the nuts and bolts in it? Most we, we definitely had, so I grew up in Montana. I met these guys in the small town called Kalispell where I grew up and right away, the guitar player and I still good friends. His name is Dave young. He lives in Minneapolis now too. Um, actually the, the three guys, we all moved from Montana to Minneapolis, which is just, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing time. But at 13, when I met this guy, Dave, and he said, Oh, I want to do this. He was 15 and, you know, like 13 and 15, like a 13 year old is going to look up so much to the 15 year old. And, um, we just hit it off. And so for me, I was just tunnel visioned like that entire time we were going to change the world with our rock, you know what I mean? It was very, it was like, it was like so tenacious D uh, we really had blinders on in a lot of ways to other experiences and things because we were just so driven. I mean, you know, and it's a blessing and a curse, right? Like right. when you have that kind of drive, it's amazing because it drives you, but you also, you know, I also would have maybe made some different decisions or, or like maybe treated other people differently. We would just were like, it's, it is just about this thing, you know, and when you're teens and twenties, geez, that it just seems so consequential. If you think about, take it from the approach of the relationships and it's all about the people and every aspect of it. It's not just about the guys in the band. It's about who you're dealing with, the the promoters, the clubs that you're playing. So oh, if, if yes. you take, if you take the, the drive and the fun that you guys were all having with each other and then bring that into other relationships in the music business, I would, I mean, I wish I had that too, that wherewithal and that, thought process because it could, it could have went a lot further, you know, for the young bands and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, we were, we were like regionally successful in Minneapolis, a band's called down and above. Um, and, uh, and we had a small record deal for a little while and went out to New York and made a record and, you know, all that stuff. But it, I mean, you know, it's so hard to be in an original band. The thing that I will say that, that I really love about that time, uh, in addition to like, you know, I'm still really good friends with those guys. It's just a three piece. Um, it taught me, it taught me how to like think creatively. So we were a three piece band and I was playing a, a rig with, you know, a bunch of distortion trying to fill up the space. So, you know, we were into the power trios. We loved rush and the police and primus and King's X, yeah. you know, and like morphine. And so like, it was such a good learning experience of like how to, how to like, Oh, maybe I need to come up here and play this chord on the bass while the guitar player is soloing. And just taught me how to listen and wonder if the thing I was doing was either taking up too much space or not covering enough ground, right. you know? 
And then it was really a fun, creative environment to dig into effects. And we, we did a bunch of fun covers. We covered some Bjork songs. And so that's kind of when I started to get into synth bass and all that stuff. And it was very like, it was a, it was a really cool, creative environment. You know, what was where, the, collabor- the collaboration like between you guys? Did you you said that you're not really a songwriter, but did you have a lot of part in in creating some of the original? Yeah, songs? yes, yes, I did. It, and it's funny that you asked because I don't identify as a songwriter, but in that band, I I for sure was. Yeah. Wrote some lyrics, but definitely wrote a lot of parts and wrote a lot of the music with Dave. Yeah, uh, that Dave and I would write a lot, and then we would bring it into the band with our drummer, and then flesh it all out together. It's a good process. Yeah. I love that process. I love that process. Me too. I was, in, I was in a band in Boston called Love in Stockholm, which I've talked about many times on the show. And um, it was, you had the singer and guitar player, uh, Charlie, the, the singer, and Brendan, the the guitar player. He, he They would come with the, you know, the melody and a lot of the lyrics and kind of the nuts and bolts of the tune. And then there was a lot of open space for the rest of the band to come in and help mold the tune. And everyone yeah. fe- and everyone felt like that they had a, a, a part in it, which was, which is a good feeling to have when you're in a band. Um, did you guys um, like with your bass playing style and you said that you take up a lot of, you were worried about either taking up a lot too much space or not covering enough. How important in, the roles that you play live today do is that balance and what do you tend to to sway towards you tend to nuts and bolts of the tune play the part or do you try to cover a little bit more you know depending on solos and stuff like that i feel like that question right is at the center or should be of every professional musician or every musician right that's trying you know i mean i'm sure as a drummer too you're you're thinking about that too like is this the one headlight thing with no crashes and no fills or is this Keith moon, right? Like where, you know, so, so for me, I have this thing where I'm always thinking about the song song is King. Um, and so I want to always be walking that really fine line between supportive, like uh, on that side, the the positive word is supportive and the negative word is boring. Right. Because I think it is possible to be just supportive, but not be imaginative or creative. Right. And I want to be supportive, but I also want to be creative. But then, okay, over on the other side, you have creativity. But then, you know, the other the negative word is wanker. (laughs) So, right. So so I want to figure out how to be creative and not a wanker and supportive and not boring. And that and that is like razor wire. That is like walking this tightrope where you're always wondering, or you should be always wondering, okay, is this a moment to do something that can contribute? Um, but the thing that I always will tell like students or, or people that ask is like, if, if you're thinking about the base first, like if you're responding and playing more from this place of, oh, I've been working on this and wouldn't it be cool to get this into the tune? Right. That's wanker. That's bad. Like, no, like that's bad. But if you're thinking about it, like the vocal does something and you want to respond to that somehow, or the drummer plays this thing and you feel like you want to catch it the second time it happens, that's improvisation, that's collaboration, that's creativity. Like I think, and and I think people hear that artists and band members really can tell, even if they can't name it, they feel where your busyness is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're playing a lot and it's really serving the tune, 
no one then says you're busy. People are just like, wow, what a rad drum groove or what a rad bass line or whatever. Yeah. But if you're busy because you've been shedding the like, you know, double stroke, <laughs> slap, double thumb, you know, then people, you can just tell, like, does it fit? No, it doesn't fit. Yeah. So there's, no, there's nothing worse yeah. than having, there's nothing worse than having the lead singer look back and you be like, what the fuck is going on back there? <laughs> or even, or even worse, yes. like somebody in the audience noticing or, or thinking about it. Like they, you don't want the audience to think about it. You want them to enjoy it and have the music kind yes. of speak for itself. It's such a good, it's such a good point. Cause I came, when I went into, uh, into college and I started, you know, started playing and, and I, I was all about like, I did the guitar center drum off and I was a very busy player. Yeah. I was, I was chops, chops, chops. And when I went to school, that was just like chopped out of my repertoire. I was like, yeah. you need to stop <laughs> because you're not playing musically. You sound terrible and nobody wants to hear that. Um, right. It has its place, but when you want to play with with a singer or in any kind of group, you you have to be collaborative and play musically. It's For just... sure. And, and I will say, because I came up very similarly, like I did some like bass competitions and I was really into slapping and tapping and prog rock. And, you know, yeah. I loved like dream theater. So I had a six string and I was tapping. And the interesting thing for me is that um, then as I became a sideman, I tried to hide that stuff. I was, mm. because I went through the same thing too, right? Overplay, right? Or I didn't know the right style. I got fired from a session for not knowing how to play like Paul McCartney. You know, someone was like, let's do a Beatles thing. And I was like, okay. And, and like pretended to know, you know, yeah. and it, it was the beginning of this re-education for me of like, oh, That's such a I good need word. to, yeah. 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 Like, like, it's just, it's not about, okay. I'll say this for me it's not at 42. It's not necessarily about shunning the chop stuff because I do think the chop stuff actually gives you facility to do other things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've even done some things recently where I've busted out old, like tapping techniques that have really actually helped a song come to life. Um, because that attack, like the sound of the attack is cool for this particular track or whatever. Right. So, but it's about the self-awareness and it, it's about the self-awareness to know when to use that stuff and when not to use that stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. And when you're a young musician, you just want to show, you want people, you want it so fast. You want people to think you're awesome. So yeah. as you discover in guitar center, or like, as I discovered in, you know, at the jazz bass festival or something, the way to impress people is to play your fastest, craziest stuff. Right. And then people look at you in the room, you know, like the guitar center, other kids, you know, but you discover like, Oh, that's, we're playing long game. We're not playing short game. Like if, you know, this is a, this whole career. So we need to satisfy this artist or we need to, you know, but, but for me, it's like, I used, I used to pretend that I didn't know how to do that stuff <laughs> or I would never bring it up. And, uh, and I don't think that's good either. I think it's like, you know, you, you just do the thing that's right for the song and your whole trajectory is, is trying to figure that out. Was there a but particular I, like, moment in time that you had that 
realization? Like, was it after you got fired from that session or was it, was Dude. it, you know, even, even after that, like, Oh, well, I don't know what they're talking about. Or, or was there like a specific kind of game changing moment where you're like, Oh, I don't have to reveal the whole bag of tricks. I can use it when it's appropriate. And then, Dude, you know, I mean, uh, two, two big experiences for me, I got fired from a session uh, where, you know, the guy asked me to play like, Hey, let's do a Beatles thing in the bridge. I pretended yeah. to know what he meant. And that was my downfall. Not so much that I didn't know the material. Like, I think if I would have said to him, man, you know, this is sort of embarrassing, but I'm not totally up on that. Like, will you play me something? And I think with my ears, like I could, I could find that. And then maybe I should dig into that material. But I said, yeah, of course, because I was 24 and, but then he did a really wonderful thing for me. This guy's name is Matt Kirkwald. He's a great producer and guitar player in Minneapolis and a, a dear friend. Um, he said, let's be done for today, which meant you're fired. And, he, <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, he, like, because I tried it a couple times and he just stopped the Pro Tools session and he was like, let's be done for today. And he said, here's what I want you to do. Um, just take, just, just drive over to Cheapo Records, grab Hitsville USA box set. This is when CDs were still, right? And he's like, and grab um, Beatles number ones and learn that material. Like, learn those things because Paul was influenced by James and that's going to be everything. Yeah. So learn that stuff. And then that combined with all the like techie metal stuff will make you this like a, like a force, a weapon, you know? And I thought, Oh, that's cool. And he's, and I was like, okay, so, Oh, but now, and he's like, yeah, we're done. And dude, <laughs> I packed up and I went into my car. I'll never forget, dude. I walked and sat in my car and I just wept. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because, because partly because it was sad to get fired, but partly because I knew that it was true. Right. Like I knew, like I thought I was the baddest, right. Cause I had all these chops. Um, but then it was like, Oh, this, this realization, this cold, hard reality of like, Oh no, man, you, you need some other things. One other experience I got to record with this guy named David Bendith, who's a great producer, he's made a lot of great records. And that was in Hoboken, New Jersey. And, um, at water music, which is a great studio. I don't know if it's still around, but he did a thing where, um, I was, I was playing really like bright, active, fancy basses. And he did a thing where he was like, Hey man, bring a, you know, bring a passive fender bass. And I said, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I brought, and then he, I was like, he's going to love this. And then I brought my, you know, and he was like, I, I thought I told you to, and I was like, yeah, but dude, th this, but this is, is better. way better than it. Yes. And he was nice and let me play my stupid bass on my band's recording, which was fine. But then afterwards he did this really cool thing where he was like, Hey man, grab that. There was like a, a cheap, like Mexican fender jazz bass on the wall. He was like, grab that, plug it in. I just want to, he's like, we're going to use your bass. It's all good, but just check that out. Check this out. And I had played all my bass tracks and he just pulled up a new fader and he's like, just play over this drum groove. And I played and I immediately knew what he was talking about. It was like going through a really nice console. The, the passive bass just had this character and warmth and mm. like honesty to it that I just, I, I heard what he was talking about right away. And he said, do you, you, you know, because I told him that I wanted to do session work or whatever. And he said, do you want to play with other people and not just your band? And I said, yes. And he said, then it will behoove you 
to not only like tolerate classic sounds, like not like, oh yeah, I have a P bass because, you know, producer says I have to, but, but to actually learn how to fall in love with classic sounds. Yeah. He's like, so listen to the Beatles, listen to Zeppelin, get into that stuff and understand why a Hoffner, you know, like understand why this is great. Right. Is this the thing that you're going to play for every tune or is it the thing that you're going to play in your like prog metal projects? No, but the short sustain of the instrument like this meant that Paul McCartney had to rearticulate notes over and over, which is what gave him his style. If he had some graphite bass and the notes hung on forever, it would have completely changed his sound. He's like, so if you're going to be a session guy, you need to understand things like that and not just understand and tolerate, but actually fall in love with, learn how to love it. That's and, one thing that I really, really notice about yeah. the what you do in particular. Like you talk you talk a lot about the the gear and the bases that you use in your videos, but you don't talk about it as if it's like, oh, look at what I got and I'm gonna use this thing. You you actually go through and thoroughly explain the reason why you're using a bass or why you're using some kind of effect or or what it means what it means for the tune and what it means for the for the other the other instruments in in a recording or in a live setting so when you go through and you're selecting a bass like i love it when you pick up the uh, the the rickenbacker is it rickenback or rickenbach Bach. Is, Rick and Bacher. It's a box. So yeah, this one, dude. When when you pick up that bass <laughs> yeah, in videos, I get so happy. I love the sound of that bass. And but the thing is, I also love when you select something else for some other purpose. Like you're you're really touching on the essence of every thing that every good musician or every musician has to go through in their whole learning process. Like yeah, you're twenty. You're in college. You're gonna be chop. You're gonna chop, chops, chops. You're gonna want to play and get all out. You gotta learn that stuff. And then I feel like as you get older, it's just it's just like picking things away, and then and also relearning, and then finding different to, uh, tools and and dude, totally subtraction. And, and for me, it's about it's about sounds that are like really thumbprint and distinct. So like this bass. Is not going to be perfect for everything. Yeah, but it's going to be perfect for some stuff. Right. Right. And even I was just talking about this. I, I do sessions with this guy named John Richardson at this place called the Drum Farm, and it's in Wisconsin. And he is like, he is like an 80s, um, like art rock enthusiast. So like jellyfish and XTC and, and he, for some reason, just loves Rickenbackers. Yeah. So once I brought one and I didn't end up using it, but I pulled it out of the case and he was like, Oh, you brought a Rick. And I was like, Oh yeah. And I didn't know. And he was like, I love Rick and Bach. I'm like, cool. And so then I was like, Oh, I should like, I got to try to use this today. Cause you know, the producer and owner of the studio and drummer loves Rick and Bachers, yeah. and it never, and didn't really work on a tune. I didn't end up using it. But then the next time I brought it again and he commented again and dude, long story short, I have probably played, 30 sessions out at this space. I always bring this bass. It's never right, but I bring it every time because the vibe 
that happens when I pull it out of the case and he, he sees it. it is worth is worth hauling it out there. He's like, awesome. oh, you brought the Rick. And then I'm like, totally, man, maybe today. And he's laughing. <laughs> We're going to get it on a tune like a- <laughs> one of these days. One of these days, it's going to be a good yeah. thanks for a tune. I mean, like he he does like a lot of singer-songwriter production. And so for, okay. it, it just sort of feels like not the right voice for a lot of that stuff. Like I end up using a P-bass jazz bass or like a hollow body. Right. And this to me sits in more of like aggressive kind of like rock distortion world. At least that's... I mean, you can do, of course, the like Paul McCartney neck pickup thing, but it really does have like a, it wants to be like kind of loud and aggressive with distortion. Okay. At least that's, that's what I find that it, it seems to work best for me with it anyway, be, kind of like the, it wants to be all Lemmy. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Chris Squire from yes. Or, okay. you know, so it's, uh, but, but I'm PR enough to know that it doesn't matter if I play it on the session, bringing it creates a vibe, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know? And sometimes that's, that's worth something, you know? Yeah. So funny, man. It is so funny. Is there any kind of uh bass that you pick up that you're just like, yes, I get to play this today. I'm sure that there's many bases you have that are, that are like uh-huh. that, but is there any type of music or type of session that you really just say, yes, I'm so excited. I get to do this particular thing today. You know. I mean, lately it has been when I get to play like synth bass on electric bass, um, when people want like that thing for me, I get really excited and that's more kind of in pedal land, but also lately, man, I've been doing way more stuff with more like modern or bright bases. So, you know, I went through this whole renaissance of like going down the rabbit hole of like vintage flat wound, short, like P bass, hollow body, short scale. Like I really did that. And I love that sound. And I, I really like making those sounds, but like then, um, I've been doing this thing recently where I've been acquiring some instruments that I loved from like when I was a kid. And this is this is not what I just described. Like this is something wow. <laughs> that this, is completely different. Dude, this is like an eighties. This is like an eighties supercar. Uh, oh my God. Look at that headstock. Yeah, the headstock's insane. Um, yeah. This is called a factor. And these were super popular in the late eighties. And they're really, they didn't make a ton of them. It's like one guy building them, you know, and they they have such a vibe and sound. And like for the longest time, I would never have admitted or, or been like, Oh yeah. Like, I think these are so dope, but they are, I mean, again, it's self-awareness. I would never bring this on an Eric Hutchinson gig ever. Imagine, but (laughs) never, you know, (laughs) but like, but I just played on the session for this band called Magic Bat, and it was all like super prog, and it's perfect. You, you just know? hear the name so, of the band, you're like, oh, I know what bass I'm bringing. Oh, I just reach for the factor. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, so so that's, again, to me, it's it's about like the right sound and the right inspiration. And mm-hmm. even though like this, when I pick this thing up, it it wants to be played a certain way, right? And so that's what I'm always looking for too. Like um, I'm doing a session today uh, for an artist named Haley and her stuff is all in this like new order joy division um, kind of like pre emo, like Mm -hmm. lo-fi space. And so I, the Rickenbacker is going to be coming out for that. And like, I just, whenever I hear some music, 
I can visualize the bass that I want to play kind of in my head. And I know that just by picking that up, even though I could maybe get that sound on this or I could get that sound on a Fender, I like having the instrument that I think is going to get me closest to the vibe because it just brings like an inspiration that I think is really cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I was just thinking about um, what you said about getting fired from that session and having the uh, the producer say, "Hey, um, go check out this." <laughs> hey, first of all, hey, we're done for the day. Yes. Um, but check out, go check out this stuff. It's so cool to have somebody that is willing to show you the ropes. And, Dude, yes. Um, and also that feeling, I equate it with just not being prepared for a test, going to a, a dr- like a drum lesson without practicing or, or working on something. Any anybody in any kind of industry or job can equate that with just not being prepared and trying to fake it and having somebody just know exactly what you're trying to do. <laughs> like I know you don't know this, and yes. you're faking it. Um, I had. I had a teacher, I was doing a jury at Berkeley and, um, I was trying to sight. I was sight reading something. I, I was a terrible sight, right? Sight reader, still not a great sight reader, but, um, I was trying to do it and I was just trying to own, I was making so many mistakes. I, I didn't know what I was doing and I was trying to own it. And he goes, stop, you're faking it. <laughs> like you're, you're faking, you're faking it. And I looked at him, I'm like, uh, it was Kenwood Denard. Um, and he was like, I know what you're doing and, uh, you need to, you need to get back to work. <laughs> he had, oh, he that's had amazing. Me. He had me cold. I was like, what was I going to do? I didn't, I didn't know the stuff. So I had to try to get through it as, as, as good as I could. It's like going through a song that you may or may not know very well. And you're, yeah. you know, you're sitting at your, you go to a place and you sit in with a band and you don't know the tune. Great, but you, you know how to get through it. That's what yeah. I was doing in that, in that scenario. And it felt really bad. <laughs> Dude. I, I have one experience that's similar where I had just got hired. So I didn't go to music school, but I got hired by a college to teach bass in my mid twenties. So now, you know, all right, in Minneapolis, I'm the, the professor, right? I'm like the base teacher at this school. And then um, I did a lot of sessions at that school. The, the like groups would come in or singer songwriters or whatever. And I will never forget, there was a high school jazz band that and they were good that came in to record in the schools in our college's studio. And for whatever reason, they didn't have a bass player. The bass player couldn't make the trip or whatever. So they're like, oh, we'll just use whoever is the bass teacher at the college. And I mean, I played a little bit of jazz, but it, it has always been here, but never here. You know what I mean? For me, like yeah. jazz has been a thing that I um, academically and cerebrally go, oh, yeah, this is cool. But I've never been moved by it, if I'm honest. Yeah, I have the same um, experience. Yeah. So... So, you know, if that's true, then you're not ingesting a lot of it. You're not listening to, you know, Coltrane and Miles Davis all the time. And uh, and it's not really in you. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a great moment where, you know, the band leader put out all this music for everyone. And, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And there's like 30 kids in this band leader. And he put the piece of music in front of me and it had this big line. It's like eight bar line and then like walking walking chords with slashes, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. Horns are going to play that and then we'll <clears> come in and. And I, and I can walk. Um, 
<laughs> but he goes, okay, everybody ready. Cool. A one, two, a one, two, three. And then everybody went, and he went, whoa. And, and because I was just hanging and he goes, why aren't you playing the melody? Yeah. He goes, that's yeah. unison line. And I go, what? And he goes, unison. And I go, oh, and I looked at it and I, and I am a terrible sight reader. Terrible. And he goes, so scary. You got, dude, he goes, <laughs> he goes, you got it. And I said, yeah. And I just thought like, <laughs> maybe, maybe God would, would impart in that moment. And he went one, two, one. And I went like, and he stopped again and he just looked at me and I said, I'm sorry, man, I'm going to have to take a minute, you know? And he was like, all right. And then there are all these like 17 year old kids, dude, like, like this. I know that that feeling you're described. I mean, when you have to take a second and, and the teacher is not doing a great job of not just like completely throwing you under the bus and pointing you out and you know, it's, it's a a learning moment. (laughs) It's, <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna show up like that again. I oh, man, wish though that I could tell you. I wish that I could tell you. And after that, I worked on my sight reading, and now I can crush any bebop right. phrase. Right. But that is unfortunately not the truth. What it did, there's a fork in the road where I was like, oh, okay, I could either go down this like really heavy like jazz. Uh, academic route or i could really double down on the things that i love and try to like build my own voice and i went i i went that way yeah well i think that i think that's the smart thing i don't know i mean i think it was for me but yeah yeah you know it's a hundred year old dead music (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry yeah if you love it, it has its place, and yes. and I think it's I think it's important for players to to get into that vocabulary, uh, especially drummers, especially drummers. Sure. And I'm sh- I'm sure it, you know I'm talking from a drummer's perspective, but learning those things and that coordination and the independence of limbs is extremely extremely important to take yeah. the different to take the different scenarios and situations. It's great, but I have a problem with the the musician, I, I shouldn't even say that. Like, I think it's funny and I think it's a little bit short-sighted when people just go so hard into jazz. Sure. And, and they're like, it's the only thing, because they're out there. It's like- Oh, it's, I know. It's the only thing. It's like, you know, you're nobody if you don't know this Charlie Parker head or whatever it is. And right. um, and I think that's just silly. It's not what yeah, music, of course. It's not what music is well, about, you know. And it's yeah, and that kind of like elitism in music in any in any regard is just about insecurity, honestly. Right. Like it's just about whoever goes that deep and saying like you're no one unless you know this. That's like a religious extremist, right? I mean, it's just about clinging so tightly to something that has constructed your identity that you're not willing to let other things in. It, and it's because of like crushing self-doubt. That's yeah. what I like. Whenever I encounter someone who is like only this music, right. like if I get to know them a little mm-hmm. bit, they they have some upbringing stuff that's really intense or like really um, they they need to be right. They need to seem like they have it all figured out, and it's because they were hurt as a yeah, as a I would agree with that. kid or as a you know what I mean. Like, yeah. and I think we all have that to some degree, right? Like we we want to seem knowledgeable we want to seem like the expert we want to know our shit we want to be one of the guys one of the best things that i have ever ever discovered is letting a little bit of that go and if someone makes a reference here's something that 
was just has been huge for me. If someone says a band, like they're like, Oh, we want it to be like this, or oh, have you checked out that new Tame Impala track? Yeah. And yeah. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, Yeah, which we all do, we all go, Oh yeah, yeah. dude, to- yeah. We I know all exactly do where it. And I do this. it too. Like instead of that, if you can be the person to say, uh, man, I'm late to, I'm late to okay computer. All right. Could we hang sometime and play that for me? Or like, Oh, I got to put that in my list. And I, can you believe I haven't ever checked out, you know, Led Zeppelin too. Like I need to like that actually, that's an opportunity. so much more. Yes. Because it's an opportunity to, to connect with someone around music. Absolutely. And it's an opportunity too to say to somebody, you know, I don't know about that. Seems like you do. Will you be the expert? <laughs> Show it's a me. Gift. Tell give me yes. give me your knowledge. And then you're doing the same thing. You're educating yourself. You're you're connecting with the person, like you said, and then you're also making that person feel their self-worth and feel important. Yes, feel valuable. You're, you're doing yes. you're doing you're doing three things. So I, I love that. I mean, and I absolutely have been guilty of Dude. being like, hey, have you heard of so and so? Oh yeah, I'll check him out. Just being very nonchalant and and just letting it yes. go. No, never heard, never heard. Never. Of person, but I don't want. And you're never going to check it out either. <laughs> right. There have been moments. There have been times where, like, oh, I, I'm saying yes because I want to be in the in crowd or whatever, and For then sure. I go, oh, I need to do some homework and listen to this thing. But yeah, <laughs> like I'm going to be out that. on the road with these guys. Yeah. I love that. I, I mean, love that approach. I love that approach of saying, oh no, can you? Can we like spend some time together and really? dig deep into it, this it's a it's a game changer man i mean it really is like it's hard to do with covid but <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> like true. if you can just say like oh show me it's it's huge yeah that's a lot of what this podcast is about a lot of it is like you know i love having this conversation with you i love learning about your world but also to know that these lessons that we learn over time are are something that all musicians kind of experience like no one just kind of has it cold everybody goes through all these things and has to learn so much there's so much out there and there's so many different people that have so many different experiences in music that it's so interesting to to hear what everyone has to say and that's that's been a benefit of doing the zoom meetings and having the podcast and being able to talk to you when we're not in the same room together which is totally the technology piece is great and it is you're right it's all just about perspective right hearing different people's approaches Uh to this stuff yeah everybody has their own story everybody has their different experience um do you feel like um and this is not me this might be me a little bit projecting on my own feelings about like living in Providence or living in Boston and not being in a place like New York city or a place like LA or whatever. But the Minneapolis music scene is incredible. You have, you have so many great artists, you know, one of my favorite drummers, Dave King, you have, uh, you know, Corey Wong, who you've played with. We'll talk about that. And, um, do you feel, have you ever felt at any point that, you were missing out on something by being a Midwest uh, musician or being a session musician in Minneapolis uh, uh, and not going to a place like LA or New York. Um, you know, it's kind of silly asking you because you travel around with people and play with people from New York, but whatever. No, uh, does that question make sense? Silly, Do you know what I mean? Of course. Okay. Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean. And it's not silly at all. I have always felt like the grass may be greener somewhere else. Right. I just have really enjoyed my trajectory here. I mean, and I'm, I'm married. I have two kids. 
Um, like I have family out here. It's, it's very comfortable and supportive and I love this place. But of course I have, I, you know, people would be like, dude, if you move to Nashville, I mean, you know, Tim LaFave and I were talking the other day and he was like, man, if you, if you move to LA, like you, you would get, you would be able to do so much. Yeah. And so of course, um, I think I, when I was in Detroit with Eric Hutchinson on tour, I got to go to Motown and visit that studio. And that was, um, it was like the beginning for me of sort of understanding why I felt really good being in Minneapolis and why I didn't have this insatiable urge to move to one of the big three, you know, LA, New York, uh, Nashville <clears throat> and Barry Gordy, when he set up Motown, didn't move and, or didn't cast his vision out into the universe. He knew this girl named Aretha a couple mm-hmm. blocks up that was a good singer and there were some dudes that sang on the corner around the block that became the temptations. And he sort of looked around at his community and thought, I don't know, maybe I could just do it in Detroit. And that is insane. Like wow. that level of belief, because really what it, what it's about is taking a look around at your situation and going, well, this person is inspiring, or I would love to make music with this person. I wonder I wonder if that would be cool versus chasing the generation ahead of you uh, to get your at bat. Right? right. So, so for me, that was really inspiring to hear that. And I sort of thought who in my circle do I think is the next superstar? And what I started to do then is when I, whenever I would play with anyone, no matter if it was Eric Hutchinson or if it was someone that no one had ever heard of in Minneapolis, I started to try to treat them like a star yeah like and not opportunistically like oh i hope that then when they get huge they'll take me but like wow what if what if the belief in this thing helped to kind of cultivate opportunity or experience or or just good situations good vibes yeah and that's how i post like whenever i post stuff with people that i've played with so many of the songs that i play on i mean i'm not playing on the dua lipa record I'm not playing on, you know, the Beyonce record. I'd love to, but I think about Carl Loudon and Willie Wisely and Joey Briscotti, people that not a lot of people have heard of as monsters, as like incredible songwriters, which I do believe they are. And I want to treat them as such. And so that to me, I'm, I have chosen Minneapolis, um, because a lot of the comforts of, of family. And then what I've decided to do is just take a look around and go, who do I want to work with here and what can we build versus like, well, I've got to get to LA so I can work with so-and-so and so-and-so I'm just trying to do it here, man. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's a great perspective and, and a really, <clears throat> and a really important thing for people to realize that I've said this before, you make your own good time, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, wh- wherever you are, there's something there. And, and that's a perfect example with Barry Gordy and Detroit and Motown. They took the things that they had where they were and they made something from it. And that exists Dude. everywhere. That exists everywhere. Yes. Um, when, when I moved, I, I do miss living in Boston because yeah, it was a bigger city. I would get called more by the people that are playing around in the, different spots in Boston, but I wasn't doing a whole lot of recording. I wasn't doing a whole lot of creating. And when I moved down here in, you know, in my story or whatever, 
it was because of family. We had a baby and we needed that support system. Yes. And, um, but I'm starting now to realize like, all right, with COVID, we can't really do a whole lot, but I'm starting to see so much shine through the cracks. Like so many people are being pushed to be creative and to show themselves. And I think that's really inspiring. So a lot of people are doing so many new things and it makes me want to try to build around uh, and build up this like Providence scene, which has been a great music scene. It's not Minneapolis, but it's like, it's, it's something to build on. I don't know. You, you get what I'm saying. Well, dude, and, <laughs> and you know, Providence, you know, Providence isn't a good scene until it is. I mean, Minneapolis wasn't a good scene until Prince. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? And that like, made it pretty good. <laughs> it sure did. But dude, like, here's something like you mentioned Corey Wong and, um, I have this funny story about working with Corey. Like he and I worked together on different sessions. We played gigs, we played wedding gigs and church gigs. And I played in his band a couple times, like before he was a huge superstar. Um, and now he's like a household guitar name. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, and I love him very much, but I, we co-wrote a tune like um, that he, he ended up putting on his first record. And it's funny, like, you're like, oh, are you a songwriter? I'm like, no. But I mean, I, I, I guess I am. I'm more think, of like a I riff. I think you are. Yeah, I I'm like a are. riff writer. But the thing, the thing that was crazy. And riffs the thing that go I wanted, in songs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I want to say, like, um, about being where you are and taking advantage of that is, you know, uh, probably a lot of people like me have a hundred or hundreds of voice memos on their phone oh, yeah. of like little ideas or whatever. And, and those to me, those almost never see the light of day. I just feel this sort of smug satisfaction of being creative and I put the phone away and then the idea never, but I kept coming back to this like slap lick that I wrote. And I was like, man, this is like funky. I think it's good. I'm like, but I'm not going to put out like the base hero slap re like record. That's not who I'm going to be. But I wonder if Corey would want this. And mm -hmm. so I just sent it to him and said, like, do you want this? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this makes me think of you. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think it's cool? Do you want? And he immediately got back to me. Um, and again, this is like before he was, you know, a, a huge star. And he was like, dude, I love this. Do you want to do you want to come over and let's just write it together? And I was like, oh, yeah, Okay. And so I went over, we wrote the tune in a day. We went and had Chipotle. I drove home and then he ended up putting it on his record. Right. And so Which song I've done it? that. It's called that's my passport photo. It's the yeah. last tune on his first record, which I think is Corey Wong and the green screen band. Yeah. Um, the right the thing that I, that I learned from that was so much of the time we're just so, insecure about our own ideas, or at least I am, I'll write I something and I go, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's any good. I, I think it sucks. Like, Oh, there's so many better riffs, but really the spark happens with collaboration. So what I would encourage, like not to turn this into like an action step, but in, <laughs> in the time of, in the time of COVID, right. Where we're all kind of communicating digitally, go through your phone and find an idea that you think is cool and see who it reminds you of and send it to that person. 
and just with, without any strings attached, without any idea of like, oh, and now I'm going to get a writing credit. None of that. Just as a gift or as like a, hey, I, I was going through my phone and I found this and this reminded me of you. Send it and see what happens. It's a really I just great idea. Yeah, I just did it recently with this guy named Jacob Charbonneau, who's in this band called Oklahoma in Minneapolis. They're so good. And I came across this just simple, like, courting thing that I played on the bass with a pick. And I just sent it to him and was like, dude, I don't know. This might be nothing. You know, all the disclaimers that we all have, right? right. Like, this might suck. But, but it made me think of you. And I wonder if you, like, do you just want it? Like, you can just have it. Or, like... Maybe it'll inspire something and we could write something. And he got it. And because that it's low pressure and that it's a surprise, it, it has such a cool like punch. Because first there's no there's no strings. It's not like we're getting ready for a retreat, our writing retreat. None of that. Right. It's like, whoa, this comes in this fun little bit of like inspiration with no strings attached pops up on your phone when you're, you know, trying to get the kid down for a nap and you click it. And then immediately he started hearing something and he started to sing something and he recorded this great vocal over it. And then we started to write the tune. That's so right? sweet. It's so sweet. Because so there's no pressure on you. you you've already, no. you've already lowered your, you set your expectation to be like, Hey, I'm putting it out there to this person that I think might get something out of it. And then that person receives it and they're like, Oh, this is a, this is a new thing. And there's no pressure on them to do anything. So yes. it's, it's like, it's a win-win really. And then if something happens, it's like this beautiful collaboration. It also yes. makes you feel like, Hey, then you're, you're connected with that person. Even you're more. doing something. Yeah. Cause they know and that I, you're thinking about them and that's important too. And I will say like, my ideas are not better than <laughs> other people's ideas. It's, it's more about the process. It's more about mm -hmm. the, like the no expectations and about sort of the gift of like, Hey, it's almost like sending just a text to someone you haven't talked to in a while and be like, Hey, I'm thinking of you. It's, yep. it's similar. Yep. It's received that way. And then I typically find people will go kind of over, uh, they'll jump through more hoops to maybe like try to make something work. I've only, I've, I've done it a lot and it's always led to something interesting. Even if it doesn't lead to like a finished song on a record, it leads to just more connection with that person, more conversation. Right. They remember you, they call you. They're like, dude, Oh, we should work on this. But actually I have this thing coming up in a couple of weeks. Do you want to come in? You know what I mean? Like yep. it just that simple process of giving someone like a little thing that you wrote has legs huge. Yeah. And it's also a way you're trusting them with, with something that you did. It's, it's a personal, yeah. it's a personal touch. I couldn't agree more. I think that's such a, a fantastic, fantastic point. Um, have you, so how long have you known Corey and, and that whole crew and how often are they, are you collaborating with them or recording or, or just how big of a thing is that in your area? It's huge. And Cor Corey is, Corey is now in orbit. I mean, <laughs> so it's unbelievable. I know. I mean, we, we text occasionally. We have um, that relationship where like, I'll listen to, and I'm a fan. Like I, yeah, I am rooting for him. I love him. And so I'll listen to his podcast. Like, dude, he did an episode with Ron Carter and I listened and was like, Oh, and Ron Carter made him work in that interview. And I was like, dude, Ron Carter was not letting you slide. And he was like, dude, I know, you know, so we have a fun back and forth. Um, he hires me. Here's, here's my relationship with Corey. 
he will hire me for something when his first three or four guys can't make it (laughs) or like, or, or he'll hire me for something when he feels like it's like rock uh, or indie rock zone. Like occasionally he'll get put into like an indie rock or kind of like, um, like a Minneapolis replacements vibe space. Okay. Like when I started to work with Haley, her name's uh, she goes just by Haley. She used to be Haley Bonner, but she's chopped that part off. Now she just goes by Haley, but she's an incredible Minneapolis artist, but she leans in this like, um, you know, kind of like grungy, dirty, like lo-fi rock pixies um, talking heads uh, joy division kind of zone and Corey came in and helped her with a couple of shows and that's not his zone right and so but he's so smart like he pulled me in on that because he knows that that's a little more my territory and he believes that i'll do a good job with that mm-hmm. so he trusts me um in in sessions and in that kind of situation but he he really values the bass players like he plays a lot with Sonny T who played with Prince and is just super funky and like flashy, but in the pocket and incredible yeah. and plays with a guy named Jim Anton who's another incredible bass player who plays with Johnny Lang. And, you know, but like these, these are guys that lean more that in that like Prince school, like crush it on the first take, like, you know, uh, like let's, let's get it like right now where I'm kind of a little bit more lean in the zone of like, let's let's run the tune a couple of times and see if there's some creativity that pops out they're more like get the session like move move (laughs) yeah work and yeah yeah there's an energy to that that's really cool um i just sort of sound even the sound that they've created is is an interesting thing it's it's a throwback for sure but it's it's because of how like dry everything is you know he's just it's so hard to make guitar playing like that sound really, really good. Oh, I know. Because there is no room for anything. Because I it's know. dry, it's in your face. There's there's nothing there's nothing yeah. uh, hiding it. And it's and it's like that on all the instruments. It's like that on the on the drums. It's like that everywhere. So it's it's a very interesting throwback to kind of how things used to be like really dead and really dry. And, and I think it's, it's so refreshing. It's so refreshing to hear, to hear something that's like really just well played and you can hear everything that's happening, you know? And he's a great example too, of a guy who was trying out a lot of things and he went down. I mean, I played gigs with him when he was in like big box, hollow body jazz world. Like he was trying to be, like a jazz guitar player, mm-hmm. like Pat Metheny vibes. And he is a great example of like when he started to, he just sort of found that like when he would play the funky, like 16th note thing, people responded to it. Yeah. And it wasn't like he, he didn't start out being like, I'm going to be a rhythm guitar king. He just sort of noticed that it got a lot of response and was kind of seemed sort of interesting. Like, and he can blaze a solo, but he's not like that. Didn't get as much adulation as the thing. And yeah, and, and the quick, like, the maybe, quick hand. Yeah, mm. and he's like, maybe this could be my thing. Mm. And I mean, he's very strategic and mastermindy. So he started to think around that of like, hmm. wow, like I wonder if I just sort of like 
put a flag in the ground around this thing. Like, I wonder if that would work. Yeah, and it did. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, That's really interesting. Um, to ca- kind of go back, uh, we're jumping around a little bit, but to go back to um, to your videos and your video production and stuff and, and yeah. all that stuff that you're doing. Um, is there anyone like I know, like the the production of it is really really great, and is that is a video production thing or? Um, is that kind of in your bag of tricks? Is that something that you always been have always been into? Is it something that uh, you're you're getting help with, or what? What kind of brought Dude. about that new, like really great looking videos and uh, educational the, the, videos? The light that's right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, okay. So here, if you scroll back in Instagram, you know, a couple years ago, there's some videos, just bad lighting. And I just didn't even know, you know, I've always really been into audio. So I've always taken a long time to really try to make the video sound good. And I mix for the platform, like on Instagram, I really mix for Instagram. So okay. I'll do some low end cuts so that the headroom isn't just uh, because no one, no one's listening on their headphones, right? People are pulling it up on their mobile and like checking it out over this. there. Dude, totally. So why not try to make it work in that platform? So that's what I try to do for Instagram um, in audio world. In video world, what happened was um, COVID happened and then Scott's Bass Lessons, which is a, a UK like education company that I, that I work for now, <laughs> said like, hey, can you get into a studio and film some content for us? I said, no, it's complete. <laughs> yeah. Everything is locked yeah. down. Like I literally cannot. Mm-hmm. And they said, if we sent you some stuff, could you just do it at home? And I was like, oh my God, here we go. Like, so I really dreaded actually the like production aspect. I totally dreaded it, but they had a great guy. Um, they have a great guy named Alan who, you know, was like, here's how to set the ISO on your, you know, download this app, dude, here's, here's the deal. I shoot everything on my iPhone X. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my camera. Not a, not a fancy camera. And then I have this lens by moment. It's like a, just a wide lens. And I, I'm sure I should just get, I just need to get the new phone that has this kind of built into it. Right. And then I have some lighting here and then I have just this behind me and, it and that's great. it. Wow. I mean, that's all it is. And so, so like <laughs> it just took a little bit, like a little just pushing, uh, you know, COVID just like pushed me off the edge Mm-hmm. in terms of editing all do the you, stuff do you, you enjoy see, doing it now I, I do enjoy doing it i get stressed when i have to set shoots up that like sometimes the prep of like getting the shoot set getting the lighting right like check constantly like going behind my phone and checking the shot to see like oh, okay is a white balance like that yeah. does kind of get in the way a bit of the creativity but i i kind of have a system now where i know like okay if i set my phone up to this it'll it'll it's going to be cool Right. You know, um, and I'm constantly kind of trying to make that better in terms of video editing. I just do very, very simple video editing, but like the team at SBL, like, so any of the stuff that comes out on like on Scott's YouTube channel, that stuff is all being edited by like a super amazing, like full-time editing team. Gotcha. Like if you ever see a video of mine that has graphics or there's transcription or it cuts to a funny 
thing of Steve Carell or like, that's not me. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that work. I was going to say I'm like, setting up- Ian is crushing it with these videos. They're like no. the, cu- the cuts to the slow motion kind of thing, I think is hilarious and it's great. And you're the perf, you're like such a good subject for it. Like you and do some, some of great. that stuff I do. Like if you ever see okay. slow down stuff or whatever, that is me. <laughs> All right. But, but like, anything anything that has a graphic like i have no idea how to do that (laughs) stuff but yeah i'm setting up the lighting i'm setting up i'm getting the audio right um and and to me like the audio is such a big it it has to sound good like i'm such a stickler for that more than more than any other aspect i'm like the audio needs to sound good yeah there's some you see so many videos of where it's you know maybe there's a little crunchiness or something in the in the voice or or it's just just doesn't sound right and it it's distracting it's it's completely distracting it's like it's like seeing the wanker on stage um yeah yes (laughs) what about playing and being a dad at the same time like is it difficult i know for me it's been pretty tough to a find the time. I mean, I have a very uh, like I have a 10 month old, so it's very hard. It's still very cute. Yeah. But um is it hard to find the time? Like do your kids play? Is it like a fun kind of game for them uh to to come play instruments with dad or is it is... I wish I wish okay. I could tell you like yeah. Um for me it is like especially doing all this content stuff. It's work. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's like dad's going to work. I'm like closing the door and my daughter and I have had like a little band for a while called snack attack. And we just write songs about food Love and that's that. been super fun. And we've done some, like we've done some uh, stuff where we like sing for church together. And I used to go into their classroom and do like little music stuff. And sometimes my daughter, my daughter's nine. So she's right at the cusp of like, she's about to think that I'm the lamest, you know, up until this point, she's really loved doing music stuff with me, but she's about to, we're about to go over that roller coaster, right. like into the teenage years where she's going to be like, dad, no, Stay we're not away. singing the popcorn song again. You know, like <laughs> we wrote these little songs together and stuff. And, um, my son too, like, hasn't, he, he, we have a drum kid and he plays like, he'll get behind it and bang on it a little bit, but yeah. it's something that I haven't, pushed because I don't know. I, I want them to just experience the joy of it. I don't want it to be like dad is like, you have to practice your flute or your drums or I don't know. Like I, I hope that when they're 13 or 14, they're like, I want to play the guitar or I want to play the drums or, and it comes from them. And then I can kind of help facilitate, but yeah, we don't do like, I wish I could be like, Oh yeah, we're doing family jams every night. And (laughs) (laughs) like whenever we do that stuff, it is really fun. Um, and I just have to remember to have like no expectations. Like the minute I go like, Oh buddy, try to hold your sticks. Like it's over. (laughs) Like the minute dad comes in with some kind of like corrective behavior around like real musicianship, like it just shuts the vibe down. It's like, uh, no. Yeah. So no, I, I think though, um, I, I will say like having kids and doing music, uh, getting them on a schedule where like, you know, they're doing naps and bedtime and stuff. It actually made me a little bit more productive. I I don't know what I did before kids. Like I don't know. I would just waste the day looking at eBay or something. But like when, (laughs) when you have kids or when there's really a schedule to like adhere to, you have to like, you have to get it done. Like you have to get that podcast done when the baby's napping or whatever, right? Like, you know, there's these windows of time 
that you have to abide by. And I think actually for me, and, and I'm an incredible procrastinator, that actually is helpful. You know, when yeah. my kids are at school, that's the time I have to do this or to make that video I was going to make. And, and in a way, like, you know, people are like, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to be creative or, like, you know, if I have kids, I like, don't know that I'll be able to do it. I really just think it, to me, it sort of like sharpened my um, time to focus on things. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. It's, it's funny because my window of time to get anything done is either, you know, like right now, my wife took Ethan to the doctor. Yeah. And uh, that this is... This is when it can happen. This is your time. And yes. also like late at night. So if if the, if he's sleeping, because he doesn't nap a whole lot that much anymore. Like he doesn't take hour long naps, like two hour long naps. It'll be like 30 minutes here and there. So yeah. it's, it's not a lot of time to really get anything done. But yeah, and I am also, I am right up there with you with being a great, really good at procrastinating. Yes. So there will be times where I'm like, oh, I have this window and I'm like, nope, it's just not going to happen this time. <laughs> and then it's and gonna, that's okay. Yeah, it's totally that's okay. okay. That's, li- that's living life and being a human. It's like, no, I just need some time to myself to just chill. Um, what about, you talk a ton about Noble amps and their pedals and what is your fascination? That sounds like a really negative way <laughs> to put that question. But no, 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 no. How, no. Do, how do you, um, what, what drew you to their stuff, to their, um, to that sound? And how do you try to dial in your sound to get to a place of comfort? Like is Noble just the, the guys that, that get you there? Um, or is it something? So, else? so it was relationship, honestly. Um, Noble, they just make a DI. They make like a really nice warm tube DI. And so it's and not it, the head. It's just, or it's. I know that you have. Sorry, the- you know, I, they 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 made a head for me too. Yes. Okay, so I do okay. have an amp that they made as well. Gotcha. Um, but his the thing that he really makes is this really nice DI. And if you don't know, that just means direct input. It's, it's a thing that you can plug your bass into, and then you, that interfaces to you know the front of house console if you're playing live, or it interfaces to a recording interface so you can record you know record into your computer. Um, he just makes a really beautiful, nice sounding convenient solution for that piece of equipment it's expensive but it sounds really good but dude honestly it's not like it's so much better than than other things um i think it's i think it's better i really like it but i like the design of it i also had a hand in doing a couple little features on the most recent version of it that he built and he came to a gig that i was playing this guy jack roan who lives in san jose California. He came to a gig that I was playing in San Francisco and just gave one to me and was like, dude, will you just check this out and see if, you know, what you think of it? Yeah. And I was like, oh, and then we started to talk on the phone and I really liked him. And that's how so many things start for me. It's, it's with relationship. I'm interested in the gear. Now, if the gear sucks, then, you know, I don't want to continue to try to figure out how to use it, but I really do value the people i mean this guy builds this quality thing in his here i'll let me just have it right here it's going to be easy he builds this amazing box in his um oh, yeah. garage in san jose this is the little board that's and it's a clean black box board here. that's a clean yeah boy board. i like that clean board that's right got, just got all the just got the few things i need but it's this it's this box here um and boy it is 
it's just amazing. Uh, and it's a problem solver. And so for me, like, I, I really, I mean, I'm not going to use the word minimalism, but I used to have a giant pedal board. And for me, it was about like getting things down to kind of a manageable level to where, you know, like everything is really laid out nicely. I can, I can, you know, put this in a little case, take it to any gig, not feel stupid for having like a giant aircraft carrier pedal board, but also not feel like, man, for this, for this thing, I really wish I had the right overdrive or the right compressor. Um, I, I, like you ask about amps and pedals and stuff for me, I, I don't care actually all that much about amps. I, I care about amps more aesthetically than I do tonally. I think they look cool. Yeah, me too. Dude. Like I feel that way about drums too. Like live. I think that the audience hears with their eyes. If drums look cool, they automatically kind of sound cool. Now, and I know that's not true, but like, you know, it's like the centerpiece of the stage, right? And like, you have to have that vibe. You know, everybody's thinking about like, oh, the kind of the vibe of like how their cymbal angles and, you know, like how the kit looks. It's like a, it's a big deal. Even if people are like, oh, it doesn't matter, but it, it matters to a lot of people. And that's the way I feel about amps. It's just like, to me, it's this thing behind it's like furniture because if you're on in-ears or you have wedges you need to crank and amp up you're not it's not like we're you know the beatles in the 60s trying to use their vox amps to you know to project the guitar into the venue that's over yeah. <laughs> now it's like can you please never turn an amp on in a venue again it's like plug into this <laughs> amp simulator in your phone you know right um so for me it's aesthetic uh and nothing think, looks nothing looks worse than like a 112 sitting on the floor. Dude, it's it's <laughs> it, it's terrible. And I think yeah, like if if that were my situation, I would just hide that thing. Yeah. And so that it would be clean, you know? Like I I totally agree with you. Aesthetically, it's a big deal. But I do pedals to me really matter because I like sounds. I like transforming my bass into a synthesizer. I love I do a lot of stuff with like spring reverb and tremolo kind of like almost kind of cowboy guitar sounds on bass. Right. I really, just sounds that have really inspired me from records and movies. And so for me, pedals are really inspirational, like plugging into something and it completely changing the sound of your instrument. And now you're playing the instrument in a different way. That's freaking magic. And amps don't do that to me. Amps are just sort of like the thing that you need behind you to kind of hear yourself. I don't right. care about them nearly as much as I care about uh, pedals and the, and the actual instrument, you right. know, the, the stuff that's actually like doing the stuff, <laughs> doing yeah. the work. Yeah. Um, that's just me. But. When you, uh, you recorded with, with the believers in the studio, mm -hmm. you guys made a record all together. Was that like, was that a collaborative process or was that something that Eric had the tunes ready to go? And then it was just kind of, like you said, like you have something to add here and there, but it's mostly, you know, what Eric has already brought to the table. It, it was that, uh, yeah, we recorded a record with Eric called modern happiness and that it was one of the coolest recording experiences that I've ever been a part of because of the combination of organization and like holding it loosely, Eric for that record in particular, Eric made these demos 
and they were like rough demos, but for sure had the essence of the song. And then there was always something about the demo that he liked. Um, and so he'd say like, Hey, let's lean into this aspect, whether that was the tempo or the particular strumming pattern or the tambourine or right. Like there was always something about the demos. And then he also had a good sonic reference. He'd say, okay, so like this, now we're going to think about this Bill Withers tune, or we're going to think about this Jackson five tune. We're going to think about this Paul Simon tune. Um, for this particular song. And that was just huge. So right away, learn the song. I would chart everything out and have the form down and then listen to the reference. And immediately I'd go like, Oh, that should be this hollow body bass with a pick or, Oh, that should be jazz bass bridge pickup. Um, you know, Paul Simon, Bakiti Kumalo on Graceland vibes or like it always became clear right away because of how organized Eric was. But then when we would get in it, we all knew that if something felt great, that it was great. But if it felt crappy, like everyone knew it, right. there was no situation where someone was like, this is awesome. And everyone was like, what are you thinking? It's all <laughs> like, we just, we just trust each other. And, you know, everyone knew like, oh, that's not like, oh, I'm stepping on your toes. There's a lot of trust and a lot of grace in that crew of like, I want to, I want to make sure that everybody's feeling really good, you know, and like about what they're contributing and about how this is coming together. And then if Eric had tweaks, he'd be like, Oh, let's, let's not, you know, he would then kind of like mold it, but it was very collaborative. And I think that was a first for Eric, at least a first positive experience. He has some funny stories about, you know, old bands, like way back in the day, you know, having like hard sessions with bands. Mm. Um, But this was because he hired good people surrounded himself with good people and and we wanted the best for the record it was it was magical it's like yeah. seriously one of the best recordings i've ever been a part of that's awesome so tell the people what you have come like where they can see you and what they should check out and you know bass players everywhere what do they need to do to make it big like ian <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> what do you need to do to make it big um i mean i'm most active on instagram that's the platform of choice i recently took uh, a job making videos and and courses and content and stuff with scott's bass lessons which is a big you know bass educational channel and they do so much the youtube channel so fun um, so I do for them like big deep dives on records on YouTube. So Scott handles a lot of the lesson material where it's like, oh, he's going to talk to you about how to play modes. And, you know, and, and he, he does fun videos too of like, you know, beast mode, you know, Victor Wooten. And, but I have been doing this thing where I've been diving into albums. So recently I just did Graceland by Paul Simon. That's going to come out, I think, in a couple of weeks. And um, I did also Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Chili oh, Peppers yeah. and Dovin. I mean, and like Flea, dude, Flea's playing on that record is incredible. And I, I also think he's just so did under Mo- underrated. Oh. Like he's more known as like this famous crazy dude, and he's so underrated as a musician, in my Man, personal opinion. I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I really feel that way too. I I've always sort of like liked Flea. But it wasn't honestly till recently. Like I loved Blood Sugar Sex Magic growing up. Like as a kid, me that was too. a big record for me. Right. But I didn't realize until I really dove in of like, oh, this dude, Flea is a master. He is yeah. masterful on this instrument. <clears throat> um, 
So that's cool. I, I just did one too on moving pictures and that rush was my favorite band as a kid. And so Getty Lee's playing. So I'm really active on Instagram. I, uh, active on YouTube with in Scott's bass lessons and I'm playing on a bunch of stuff. So I, there's an artist in Minneapolis named JS Andara. I played on his record that is coming out. Um, some new, this, this artist Haley. Um, I just played a bunch of this guy, Jeremy Messersmith, who just released some, a bunch of music called uh, mixtape for the Milky way. So it's a lot of like session, a lot of session work coming out soon that I'm really pumped about. But if you want to connect with me or you want to see like what I'm about, Instagram is for sure the the greatest place. And and here's something just like, you know, like I know you sort of jokingly like, you know, bass players that want to make it, but here's (laughs) what I'll say. Like right now, the opportunity that the internet provides is a, freaking land grab and all you need to do to capitalize on the opportunity sounds like a business meeting but this i really feel like this is true is put out content that you like put out stuff that you think that not that you hope people will like there's a big difference Mm -hmm. but that genuinely gets you excited to make the content and you think is maybe even going to be valuable it's like when you're talking about, you know, I'm putting stuff out and talking about the bases. I'm not going, check out this sick bass and how fast I can slap it. Yeah. I'm saying, here's what I use this for. This is how I think about how this instrument fits into this context on this record. And maybe that will be valuable to you. It's about your perspective, right? So right. If, if you're wondering, like if you're listening to this podcast and wondering, like, what can I do? Just, just document your life just take a look at what you do whether that's playing drums like dude i am so fascinated by drummers and every drummer has a different way they approach tuning holding their sticks like i want to know from a drummer perspective why 7a and not 5b like i don't know why who cares why does that matter well i know it matters to you guys big time so freaking tell me about it you know what i mean yeah it is it's funny because it's all these things that <laughs> you can explain that, but I, you know, I think that personally, as a drummer, it's like no one wants to hear why I use the sticks that I use. And but, but I that's guess there not are, true. I, I guess there are people out there that that do, and it is a big deal. It's like this is the thing that gets my hands that connects my hands to my instrument. I'm not playing strings with my fingers. I have to play my instrument through this wooden these wooden objects and that and the way that they feel and the size that they are and the tips and how much surface area is touching the drum and how much surface area is touching the cymbal and where you hit the drum and where you hit the cymbal matters so much and it's those little differences between the like a tiny tip on a on a stick or a big tip or whatever it's a, it's funny that I'm just getting into this, but it, it's it's this it's a huge 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 part of the personality of the drums yes. and the personality of the person playing the drums. So yeah, I guess you're right, and it's a lot of like you know the picks that you you use. I bought a sure. I bought a guitar in Denver, and the guitar player uh, Carter in in my band was uh, showing me all these different picks that he used because he uses all these you know create like some ex- expensive picks and he's always like sanding down the edges and stuff like that, doing things yeah. like that. And he gave me, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but he gave me this, um, 
this really thick pick and it has like, you know, holes punched in the middle of it and, and stuff like that. And now I'm used to playing, you know, one of these guys, like, you know, sure. Yeah, uh, of course. Small, classic. Yeah. Classic pick, whatever. So I start playing the guitar with this other pick and I'm like, Oh my God, this sound, right. it completely changed the sound of everything. I'm like, this is like, I realized from when he handed me that thing, from what I'd been playing before, how big of a deal the pick is. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? it, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing of like, I think when people are thinking about making content, like all that stuff that you just described, like I, I envisioned as you were talking about sticks and like where the stick hits the symbol, the drum, whatever. I envisioned like if you made a video about that or whoever's listening to this podcast, they made a video about that. Yeah. There, there's this, there's two lies that we tell ourselves. One, that my life isn't interesting. And that is totally bullshit. It is bullshit. Because it's only, it's, it's not interesting if, if you think it isn't, but it is if you think it is. And you speak about it like it is. Yeah. And the second is that I'm, I haven't done enough or I'm not a big enough deal or I don't have the, a big enough gig to warrant me talking like an authority. Those are the two lies. And, and, and they're both based in insecurity and self-doubt. And the thing that I'll say about that second one is you don't have to talk like you're the authority. You just have to talk about the stuff that you think is, is working for you. Like when I watch, when I watch Dan Bailey and listen to his podcast, you know, Dan Bailey, um, I do drummer. Yeah. Like I never, think oh this dude is trying to tell me how to how to think about drums right. i'm always just like dude thank you so much for the you, you taking the time to educate me about something i don't know about i'm not even a drummer i think his thing is fascinating it is fascinating and i watched i maybe it was in a podcast or something but he talked about sticks whenever he gets two sticks he always has to hit the snare with whichever one is slightly heavier and he said, when you buy a pair of sticks, there's always one that's a little heavier. And whenever he gets two, he'll switch them because, or he'll, he'll try to, oh, okay. Yeah. That's the right vibe. I had no idea. Yeah. That's a funny, that's a really funny thing that, you know, I think about every time that I pick up a pair of sticks Right. and I use, I use Vic Firth five A's and with a, with a wooden tip and, um, they are just kind of old, reliable. Some there's yeah. some scenarios where I wish, where I wish I had something maybe a little lighter, and I do carry some lighter stuff in the bag, and or or maybe something a little heavier. Sure, but there is. They say it's a matched weighted pair, but it's impossible. It's impossible, and yeah, you always think like, oh, how did they make this drumstick? How like did they get one big piece of wood and then and then just shave out <laughs> shave out the the two sticks and it's this one piece of wood that needs to be together forever and is put in the package and that's the weighted pair but it's like no those two sticks came not. from completely random places and they just found the two that were you know yeah they sorted them in a machine there's a machine right. I'm sure that just sorts like oh these are similar enough to to brand right. as matched sticks yeah I've had matched sticks that were like like two different like colors, you know, one was darker than yeah, the other one. And of course, and it's interesting because depending on where I'm playing, uh, if I'm playing either on the rye or the hi-hat, I usually want the heavier stick on the hi-hat because, yeah. it, and that depends because if I'm playing something quick or if I'm really digging in and grooving on like a, like something like that, yeah. I want the heavier thing 
on the hi-hat because I can hit hard on the snare drum. I can, I yeah. can manipulate where I hit the drum and, and how hard or like how much I press into it or how much I let, let the stick bounce off of it. I can manipulate that to a point to get, get it to sound the way that I want it. The hi-hat is the same. You can do that, but I just like the way it feels with a heavier stick in my hand on the right, on, in the right, you know, side. Dude, I'm, I, I think, you know, I think you just found a whole new content lane. I think so too. That's, <laughs> that's really interesting. It's so interesting because you're so right. It's these things that you, that you think about on this constant basis. And like, I, I've been, I've gone through YouTube videos see how to see how people tune their drums and you never get really a good idea no. of of how they're actually doing it and the nuance and they explain it to a point but it's almost like they're explaining it because they know that someone wants to see how they're tuning the drum like it's so hard to describe but it's funny it's so funny I'm going to think about this in a completely different way I mean, now, after this conversation <laughs> Dude listen listen that to me is is the secret of being able to make content and like, and as long as you just say, as long as the, the message comes across of like, Hey, this is just how I do it. And it's what works for me versus like, now I'm going to show you the three tested way, pay for my masterclass of the three tested ways, you know, to tune your drums like a pro that's the spammy stuff that makes me feel cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. But as long as for me, anyway, as long as it feels like, man, you know, there's a, there's an octave pedal that gets tons of hate, dude, hold on real quick. Yeah. I know we're probably like way over time, but this pedal, this pedal right here. Oh, I love that pedal. Well, there's, there's an old version called the OC two. That is the, like the workhorse. This is the, this is the often, um, slagged OC three where people are like, Oh, OC three sucks. Oh, I even know there was a difference. (laughs) Yeah. And you can get, you can get these for 60 or $70 used because they're not cool, but they sound awesome. There's like a cool, they have a different vibe and, you know, but it's not the cool one to buy. But so I'm, I love this kind of stuff where I'm like, Hey, like subverting expectations a little bit, like talking about like, Hey, you don't need to, you don't need to get the thing that everyone else is using. Like this will be really, this is awesome. You know, if you want to check out an octave pedal, spend 60 bucks on reverb and get this one and see if you dig it. And you might like the thing I always tell people is just like Jimi Hendrix didn't have a custom fancy Stratocaster, right? Like Keith Moon just probably played the drums that were the drums that you could buy at the store. Like, right. James Jamerson went and picked up a bass in 1962 off of a music store wall. And it became the 62 funk machine P bass with all this, you know, but like just use, use the stuff, use Use the stuff that's around and then talk about why you like it and why you think it's great. And that will always resonate. Like, like if you're good at what you do and you talk about why you love something that no one is ever going to be like, that's stupid. Your opinion sucks. It's that stuff only happens when you're like trying to like really monetize your opinion. And then someone goes, hold on, man, you don't have the Taylor Swift gig though. Like, you know, know, or whatever. Right. Right. When you can specialize it to what you're doing and just talk and talk about what you're interested in. I mean, that makes, I mean, it makes, 
perfect sense to me. It, it really does. So that's the, really that's does. the long version of like my advice to new players. I, t- I, I do a bunch of podcasts and I've been doing a bunch of talks with like young guys coming out of school and they're like, how do I get started? I'm like, talk about what it's like to be in music school during COVID. Yeah. Do a podcast about it. Or like, I mean, it's just about your perspective. It's just your thing. That's, that's what's interesting is you, right? you know? Yeah. So that's my advice. Dude, this was awesome. This was so great. Right on, man. You're the best. You're just the best. <laughs> Thanks, um, Jesse. You are too. Uh, I, uh, I'm really glad that you did this and I hope, is it, is it cold there? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 just it's incredibly here. cold. Dude, it's like minus eight right um, now. Oh God. Oh, it's God. it's crazy. Yeah. This week is we're we're in the we're in hell week. Why do we uh, do it to ourselves? Why do people why do people live in these cold, <laughs> terrible climate? I think it I really think it's because we're strong we're stronger than everyone else. And, I think that's right. <laughs> Prince Prince in Minneapolis, Prince would always say too, the cold keeps out the riffraff. I always like that. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Oh my God. It's just Funny. so, it's so cold. Um, dude, you're the best. Um, thanks for doing it. And I will, um, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be thinking about my, my whole content creation after this conversation. It's, it's good. It's pretty, that good. makes me happy. All right, thanks man. for having me on, man. Give my love to the family and, um, and hopefully I'll see you soon. Love it. Likewise, see, man. Thank you. you. Bye. And that's it. That is my conversation with the great Ian Allison. Please, please, please go check out his Instagram at Ian Martin Allison and Scott's Bass Lessons, which is www.scottsbasslessons.com, where you can go check out his course. It's incredibly informative. Even if you're not a bass player, I recommend you following Ian and checking out all of his stuff because it's incredibly inspiring. Like I said at the beginning, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Check out the merch store. You can support the show on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash after the gig. It has a bunch of extra content on there that I would love for you to check out and be a part of that community. Let's listen to some music. Catch you next time. Bye. I'm gonna give you real love for the first time. Not like the dying.